0: This is uh, the host of uh, Romy Mack, and welcome to another segment of interview with Rome. Today's guest is—I um, am so grateful, so thankful—to have uh, Miss uh, Maura Sweeney with me. Um, for those who don't know, Maura Sweeney, she is a, a podcaster. She's an author. Um, she's traveled to you know just multiple countries, just just talking and speaking to folks, and um, also a former uh, a former Huff Post columnist. So um, you know, there's so many things, so many questions that I have for her, and I'm hoping that you know that she'll be able to um, provide uh, so so much information to to not, not just me, but anyone that's listening who's just curious about um, their life, um, whether or not living, uh, whether you're feeling down, and you know, because she has the has a quote where you're living to living living happy inside out. But uh, of course, without further ado, I want to bring forth um, the the well accomplished, with many accolades, Miss Maura Sweeney. Mara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on. John,
1: thanks a lot. I'm glad we connected, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today.
0: Yes, 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 yes. First, first, first off, um, look, I had the the question of the, to start off with you is who is Maura Sweeney?
1: I could answer that in a number of ways. I'll tell you that I'm a trademarked ambassador of happiness, which is a great title i would say that describes who and what i am but if you were to meet me on the street i would hope that what you'd need is someone who is very open to get to know others and to see the best in who and what they are that's the best way i would describe myself
0: awesome awesome okay so hopefully by the end of this interview i'll i'll be a lot better than when i came in no with having you on the show um (laughs) So a little bit, I want to get a little backstory on you. Where did Maura grow up? I
1: grew up in New Jersey, northern Jersey. And to give you a perspective, it was a one-square-mile town. Um, And if we went to the top of our town and looked from the vantage point of the uh, town cemetery, we could see the skyline of Manhattan. So I was literally... 10 to 15 minutes outside of New York City. But in many ways growing up, I felt like I was in the middle of nowhere's land. And my my biggest thought was, oh my gosh, if I could just get out of this town. And I actually felt like I was always hemmed in to the one square mile. Not only that, I saw it as one square mile, but I actually felt mentally and socially like I was contained in this environment where everybody thought, just as the people in that town thought. So that that's that's the beginning of where I grew up.
0: Okay, and growing up near like the the likes of uh, a New York City, did you happen to get many uh, many pies out there like pizza? Because I'm big big pizza fan. Love love New York pizza. Um, so yeah, I would ask you that how, how how many chances did you have to like you know, indulge in in such greatness as uh, as New York pizza.
1: <laughs> well, you know you'd be surprised. I heard this years ago, All right, the name of my town that I grew up in was Lyndhurst, New Jersey, one square mile. and somebody told me it might have been my brother that Lyndhurst, New Jersey at one point was actually known as the town that had maybe per capita. The most or the best pizza places. Now think about that. Wow. There's something they say about the water that's up there. Um, but I, we had pizza every Friday night. I would oftentimes have it on Saturday afternoon, sometimes Sunday. We <laughs> had great pizza. And you know what? Down here in Florida, we don't have the same pizza. And a lot of people say it was, it's the water but uh, we have
0: lots of great pizza. Yeah, it's defi- definitely definitely uh, the water. I learned that from again a fellow New Yorker that I, that I work with uh, right now. Um, he told me it's like the you know the water to use for like the the crust and stuff de- yeah. determines the um the, like that, that I would say like the taste like you know the, the taste of a great pizza that is. So he's like my pizza connoisseur. I always you know go to him and like from from me I'm. I grew up, uh, you know, in, in Virginia. And like, so I got all the major chains and stuff like, no, there's no really like local pizza spot other than Chanello's I guess that would be our, our local spot. Chanello's pizza was actually really, really good. Um, but um, for me, it was stuffed crust. Stuff crust was always like, um, it's like the, the greatest contraption of a pizza I've ever had <laughs> in my life. I always said that you know, before they had their issues um, the, with the spokesperson uh, saying stuff on Twitter, um, John, was it Papa John's, I said, if they ever were to get stuff crust, Pizza Hut would be out of business because I feel like Pizza Hut is very, very greasy, uh, you know, has a very, very greasy taste to it. And then Papa John's has got a, I like the way Papa John's pizza tastes, but if they ever got, if they had ever got that stuff crust, I was, I was going to lose it, me personally. Um, so funny, yeah, well, yeah. So,
1: I just I could tell you this much growing up. God forbid if we ever went to anybody's pizza place, other than like a real pizza place, right? We had a pizza hut somewhere, um, maybe in the next town over. Nobody went there, nobody wanted real <laughs> pizza would ever go to anybody's chain, and yet we moved to Florida. There was no real pizza, so
0: very yeah, funny. Depending on where you go, yeah, you know the real McCoy. Exactly, exactly. You know, it's like living in areas that have like, like little, like like little China. I'm, like they have authentic, yeah. you know, um, Chinese food versus. The rest of us in the in the in the uh, in America like in America that don't have uh, I mean, I'm sure there's some spots that do have like authentic Chinese food, but like for the most part, again, it's just these chains and stuff, and, like stuff in um, like food courts. Like, I went to a you know, um a Chinese spot and uh, like in the food court, and it was like and it was all black people working there. I was like, how does that work, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, exactly. It's like going going into somewhat of, uh, I I don't, I don't know, um, a Mexican spot and there's all, and there's all Asians working there. It's nothing to get, you know, it's nothing to get. I, I don't doubt that the food probably doesn't taste good, but it just, you know, it just comes off like, oh, wow. I didn't expect, you know, like you, you to be work, working there, but that's just, you know, it's just a little, little humor of there. Um, so when when you were growing up, what did what did you uh, envision yourself being? What were you going to be when you grew up?
1: How about if I answer this question this way? What did I want to be when I was growing up? Exactly what I'm doing today or exactly who I am today. Wow. Except maybe younger? Yeah. And maybe I would say there's things still to come, which would be like the party to end all parties where everybody's invited. And I've shared this many, many times, but this is so real to me. As a preschooler growing up in Linhurst, New Jersey, when I was real small, we lived on a cul-de-sac, loads of kids, because it was all new homes, probably during that baby boomer era. And I could remember watching airplanes fly overhead. They were going to and from Newark Airport. And for whatever reason, I would equate airplanes with travel around the world, and when I thought about travel around the world, I thought about people from every country, every nation, every culture, um, every appearance, every type of, you know, clothing. And all I would do is say, oh my gosh, I want to get up in the clouds. I want to be aboard one of these airplanes, and I want to go and visit the world and be friends with the world. And that was my picture of what I wanted to do as a child I literally imagined all these people around the world wearing all different clothes back then I probably had a picture book as a little kid with people from every land all dressed up in their different native garb and to me that was an exciting thing I wanted to meet these people I wanted to learn about these people and so here I am decades later even growing up with um you know in an environment i already explained the town i felt like i was hemmed into this one square mile yeah but i could tell you things like i had a great grandmother who never left her house my mother was a school teacher very bright didn't want to leave the house
0: They're sheltered and so yeah. here
1: i want to visit the world and so often i felt like i was literally chained to the front stoop so i became over the course of my lifetime with decades of preparation uh, the ambassador of happiness, mm-hmm. traveling the world, meeting people from so many different places, certain countries I probably never even knew existed, and literally finding ways to find common common friendships, commonality, and um, if I could think about it on another level, and I don't know why I think of this – imagine the color of magenta like a really bright fuchsia pinkish reddish whatever yeah i almost think about wherever i go whether i'm visiting with people interviewing with people like you talking with people doesn't matter going to speak in different places that something inside of me is like this magenta ribbon that somehow brings our humanity closer together i always aim for those things of what what lifts us up what unites us rather than what divides us and brings us down. I think the world has had so much of that. So literally what I had in my heart and my imagination as a child, I am doing today. So you could almost say I made up what it is I'm doing and I created it and it's made me happy. But there's still a great big party to come. Oh, <laughs>
0: yeah, it sounds like it. I, I I hope I'm in attendance for the party. Oh, you'd um, be more than welcome. You know, <laughs> got, yeah, we got to make sure we get in before 12. Uh, okay, you know, it's free. <laughs> um, yeah, so let me ask you. So how did it feel to become a Woman of the Decade? Um yeah, that's such a you know, such a such a great such a great feat to have. Um, you know, and I'm sure it takes a a lot of what you what you do into account to become Woman of the Decade. So yeah, just just how did that how did that feel becoming a Woman of the Decade?
1: I would say it made me smile. Um I received that award. I think it was last spring. I was in the Netherlands, in Holland, um, speaking at a uh, women's forum. And it was an international event, and it was for women from the EU and from Africa. And the event itself was sponsored by an organization based out of India. And I mention all this to answer your question because, The woman that runs this organization is such a woman of vision. She has literally connected women all over the world together. And I never apparently saw the world the way others did. I didn't realize this. I see people internally, I see their spirit, I see their hearts, I could feel maybe their intentions. And so the woman that runs this organization, um, and I think it's actually the largest women's organization in the world, is such a bright light and she literally has done such great things that she when she gave it or whatever presented me with the award i just want to say it made me smile because i wasn't aspiring to get anything but i felt honored and maybe satisfied when i say satisfied as if to say wow whatever it is that i've been doing someone that i value in an organization whose heart i value Is looking at me and thinking we see what it is you're doing and we're acknowledging it and I think you know that's good for all of us in the world we may all have different aspirations how wonderful to be acknowledged for the very things that are important to us and in my case I was given women of the decade which I'm sure is for older women like myself (laughs) but it was for personal leadership and if there's one thing I hope to inspire people to do, men, women, doesn't matter, doesn't even matter the age because I speak a lot to university students, is learn to be master and leader of your own life. Learn to lead yourself and lead yourself to becoming your best self. And so when I got the award, I guess I looked at it and smiled and I thought, well, you know, I guess the very things that I was aspiring to, I am becoming, and this is maybe the world's way of saying, oh, look, we're acknowledging you for that. But I looked at it on another level, and I thought, well, good, because this is just one more way that I can use to inspire other people to go and follow what they love so that they could be their best version of self and lead themselves in their best way.
0: All right. Um, what, um, what do you feel like is your greatest strength?
1: My greatest strength is I could meet someone, and I'm a natural interviewer. I'm, oh, I've always been interested in other people. I could find... I would say the gems within people. Sometimes it's a talent. Sometimes it's a great personal quality or several qualities. I can literally see the gems that people are and bring it to light based on what they say or stories they tell me. And it makes me really happy to see people as brilliant elements and as stars in their own right. I just love doing that. I love it, whether they're 8 or 18 or 80. (laughs)
0: Yeah. All right. So with that being said, what do you feel is your weakness?
1: My weakness is the opposite of the strength in that because I don't look at people as age, um, gender, um, color, uh, economic or academic background, I don't see people the way the world sees them. As a result, I can never, and I mean almost never remember people's names and faces. You know how embarrassing that is? It's terrible because I'm so busy connecting with them at a soul level or as a person-to-person level or heart-to-heart level that what the world looks at, I forget or overlook cuz I'm too busy looking at the soul and the spirit of who they really are. Okay. That's my weakness.
0: All right. Um so being being a uh, speaker, you know, you speak in front of crowds uh, I'm sure like all the time. What's the largest crowd you've ever um, spoken in front of?
1: You know, I was probably going to tell you that the largest crowd I've ever spoken would probably be on a radio crowd. You know, I know I've been on several um, shows where they would have like a million listeners. Yeah. Um, In terms of largest crowds, I would say easily like several hundred, 800, you know, a thousand, I don't know, something like that. Wow.
0: All right. And do you ever ever get nervous speaking in front of like, I would say, one, your radio crowd and then two, your... uh, like the, the the hundreds and thousands. Do you do you ever find yourself getting like like ner- nervous? Because I even for no, me sometimes you I'll... would
1: think. But I will tell you this: No, when it comes to speaking, I'm really not nervous and. Um... But the thing that did make me nervous was, as an author, for many years, you know, I I worked at corporate. I was supposed to be a lawyer. I left law school halfway through. I thought, oh, I so don't want to be a lawyer. I ended up in corporate life. And all through those years, I had to always speak publicly. And I've done some other work like that over the years. But the big thing for me that did make me nervous, interestingly enough, was when I decided to... Um, go out on my own and speak my own words. So that meant I started blogging and writing stories and for the first time rather than telling someone else's story or let's say giving a corporate story or training people on, on academic type things or whatever it was that I was um, uh, teaching people about I was then moving into a much more personal space. And I could remember when I first started writing, I used to go to a few writing um, workshops, I would say. And there were people who said to me, Maura, you're not being honest. And the reason why I was such a private person, I was struggling with how do I tell life stories that aren't just my story. But anytime you go through anything, you're you're really going through it with other people. And I think that I was always so polite and maybe trained this way to be very dignified that I had a difficult time telling real life stories and covering over sometimes for bad behavior. That was a very scary thing for me to do to say, how do I express the stories of life I want to share without ever um Trashing anybody. I would never want to do that. And I just wouldn't because I wouldn't want anybody to trash me. And that to me was the one place I felt scared. And I just thought, well, I'm just going to have to trust myself that I will learn how to do this process. But when, no, when it comes to speaking, I think I'm okay talking. <laughs> you know, yeah. one-on-one, as you can
0: tell. Exactly. It, it takes, for me, uh, I got to get started. I need, like, yeah, once I get it going, everything is, everything just flows so naturally. Like you saw, like, even in our uh, pre-interview, um, you mm. know, it just, once, once, it, once you get that level of comfort, it's, uh, you you know, you're good. You But also don't want to stay in the comfort zone, if you know what I mean. Um... You mentioned that you were uh, you you were going to be uh, you had stopped going to law school. how did your uh, how did your parents feel about that?
1: Um, you know I think and I think many parents are like this sometimes wives, husbands, parents, whatever may be like this. They get something in their mind, they fixate on it and that's all they could see. Uh, for my family, they just decided uh, once my grandfather, who was an attorney, passed away that I was going to be uh, an attorney just like him. And so I was groomed and trained and everything about my upbringing was all designed around that end. And um, I had to leave law school mid- at the midpoint when one day I literally couldn't get up. From my chair to get myself into the car and drive myself to class and then later that day I tried opening my mouth to explain why I couldn't get to school and no words came out. <laughs> so you know it, it was an interesting thing and I think you know I look at everything in my life and I hope others do as well. You know, we could look at things in our lives that are maybe challenges for us, and we could think, oh, poor me, or oh, I did this right, or this wrong, or oh, look what happened to me. But I also tend to look at things as how did each experience in my life help me to grow and become more of who I am? And I I'll, I want to reference something else. When you said when I was growing up, what did I want to be? I wanted to grow up happy and free to be who I was. Awesome, yeah. And there I was at 23 midway through law school unhappy and not who I was looking at a career that was going to require me to probably live in New York metro area for the next 40 odd years practicing in a career that would require so much energy to do what I didn't want to do and live in an area that really didn't appeal to me because I was more of a warm weather person so here I am and I look at all of it and I had I not gone through that time period of being groomed to be something I wasn't I wouldn't be nearly as passionate as I am today, as I was as a mom, as I was even in corporate management, helping people find, discover, hone, and develop those talents and abilities and interest that they had so that they could be free to grow and to be their best self in those areas and arenas that were important to them. So what was that challenge for me growing up really becomes my calling card and my passion for all I'm about today, which is live happy from your insides out. Don't try to always be a picture of what you think other people want you to be. Be your best self, your brightest self, and compete with only yourself to be the best version of yourself you'll be happy you'll be confident and you'll probably feel a certain level of personal freedom.
0: Okay. Um you mentioned obviously that you you know you're married and you have you have a child. Um, let me ask you how hard was that to um, I would say manage both mom life, married life and you know pursue your own uh, in, in your, your own goals.
1: Well, I did tell you I'm older. Um, I didn't even think I'd get married. I wasn't looking to get married. But believe it or not, my husband and I met in college. We were 19. He told me he fell in love with my mind. I fell in love with, like, I looked at this guy the very first time I met him, and I thought, wow, this is a guy who judges no one wrongly. He's comfortable in his own skin. He's not looking to impress anybody. And I remember having one other thought. He'd let me grow as much as I wanted to. And so we've been together literally since 1977. Imagine that. That's why I got married at, at 23. I will tell you this, I thought we'd probably have four kids. My original thought was we'll have two of our own and then adopt two kids from other countries. Would you believe we were married 11 years? I didn't even think I could have a child, could never get pregnant. Even trying to adopt other kids from other countries didn't work. And when I finally gave up, I got pregnant, had our first daughter, an only child. And here's the irony. By the time I did have our daughter, um, I was so burnt out with corporate life Mm -hmm. that I ended up being ready to stay home and be with her. And I actually did go to work for a short time after I had her. And I remember thinking, I'm going to be not as good of a manager, and I'm going to be not as good of a mother. And so what I ended up doing, John, is – During that time period, even before I left work, I made sure that I took the income that I had and used it to pay off a lot of overhead debt so that in the event that I wanted to be home for a few years, I could be. And secondly, I ended up homeschooling our daughter. Uh And by the time she was 13, I've done several things. So I really gave her a lot of what I had. But by the time she was 13, she was already enrolled in college. It was her choice. She was at a local college. And so I could almost tell you that I've had different times in my life where I've done different things. But wherever I am, I'll always give it my best. And I tell people, too, you know, sometimes people think, oh, you have to be, like, the best at everything. You know, sometimes we just have different chapters in our life, and we work and we do the best with wherever we are. And I want to say I was an older mom when I got married. I had the privilege of having a few years at home with her. But if you're not, you just do your best wherever you are. And then when our daughter was getting older and my husband and I had built up another company, it was a computer uh, rep firm. It was very profitable but didn't really have any purpose. I remember thinking, you know what, I always knew I wanted to do something on a large scale and I wanted to be a person of influence so that I could – inspire people to think differently think better think more in a more united sense about the world and society and it was during that point i thought you know what our daughter's getting ready she's going to go live 1500 miles away i'm going to pull out all the stops and i'm going to just set out a goal of becoming one of the most influential women in the world funny funny so there yeah. you are. Like I could look at myself at different times and and different chapters, and I just put my energies full time into whatever I could at that opportunity.
0: Yeah, I, I was. You know, I'm listening, obviously we're listening, and we heard you say um, you you homeschooled your child. How um how how, how difficult was that to do, or how <laughs> easy was it rather? Uh, you know, I'll
1: tell you this is my personal feeling. Growing up, I would would have never wanted to be a homeschooled child. There was no such thing as that. Maybe the Amish people did it back then. In fact, my thing was I wanted to be with everybody. I wanted to be in public school. I wanted to be with everybody. When we were raising our daughter, um, we had her in preschool. And because I mentioned my husband and I had this business, and my husband said to me, Maura, would you do me a favor? He said, please consider homeschooling for kindergarten. He said, because what we could do is travel off-season where it was the elbow season, it was less expensive, whatever. And he said, this way we don't have to take our daughter out of school. And I thought that is the most anti-social thing I've ever heard, not to mention the fact we only have one child, like, oh my gosh. But here's the crazy thing. I happened to be in an environment with a child who loved to learn. She was very, very self-motivated, very curious, and very animated in terms of picking up things in her environment, and so, for her, she loved it. For me, I had a really good student. We both kind of grew together and learned together. But at the same time, it was like a chapter. It worked out well. And then uh, by thirteen, she was ready to go to college, which <laughs> cracks me that up. That is, and it was yeah. a great opportunity for us to, to bond.
0: Yeah. Well, she can talk to my daughter, and they can. They because wow, she. I mean, my daughter's fourteen, and uh, yeah, we're we're working out. Uh, we're working out school kinks at the at the moment. But um, very, very bright, very bright child, um, so used to, uh, you know, making like straight A's and stuff and now faced with the challenge, um, you know, scholastically. And, uh, you know, we're going to, you know, me and her mother, we're going to get through that um, to- together. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting, uh, you know, uh, uh, story on on your, on your, on your daughter. Being homeschooled and ready for college. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. One more
1: thing. Go ahead. Just because we're talking about homeschool. Years ago, when I was homeschooling, there were people that thought I was like super Christian, you know, and I wanted to keep my child away from everybody. That was not (laughs) it. It's funny, all the different judgments we make about other people.
0: Right. And they
1: probably thought that I was so pro homeschool. She was pro homeschool and she was a good candidate for it. But here's what I've told other people over the years do what's right for you do what's right for your child. If I had four kids, I think I'd probably be like crazy if I yeah. had to homeschool four kids. It was a great season, worked out well. And you know what too? I know of some parents who their kids were in school and then they, maybe there were times that were challenging and they took their kids out and they homeschooled their kids and they put them back later. So I would say, you know, we don't always have to make one, one decision in life and stick with it because sometimes circumstances are good And we do something, and then circumstances change, so we try something new. And I always think what works for you? What's the best thing for your child? What's you know, you follow what I'm saying? What's the energy telling you? And go with that rather than saying it's gotta be this way or it's gotta be that way or this is the standard, because what works for one doesn't necessarily work for all.
0: Right, right, right. So So um for for you obviously like you're, you know being 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 wife uh, what what I would say is um something like a uh i not say struggle or issue that like uh, one one I say one of the issues of of being in in a marriage what what's some that's like what's one issue you can say that you guys have had to uh, like uh uh, address that uh, you know that might be like uh, I'll say that's challenging rather a, cha- a challenging issue that you faced in marriage and you've gotten gotten through that you might be able to uh, to share, share with us
1: when my husband and I first got married we met in college which meant that we were kind of in a different social environment but when we did get married it kind of brought us both back to our families of origin and we soon got married and very soon after that, I thought to myself, wait a minute, I'm seeing a pattern here. And in both cases, what I saw was both my husband's mother and my mother were very strong personalities, so strong to the point where the husband's sort of answer to the wives. I, I can remember when we first got married. Now, I was, I, we got married in the Catholic Church. And back in the day, they wanted you to read different scriptures, like the wife is answerable to the husband. She's going to obey the husband. I'm like, are you kidding me? I didn't grow up to have to to leave my house and answer now to a husband. I wanted to be like a co-equal with my husband. So the bottom line of this one was I knew when we got married that somehow my husband and I needed to separate from the influence we both came out of, which was ultra-strong women kind of calling all the shots for the men. Mm. I, to me, it wasn't healthy. So we ended up. Moving to Florida uh, by circumstance state. And as a result, I think what happened is that we just worked out a lot of kinks in our own marriage. And here we are many years later. And I have to tell you this this is really interesting is that I have the utmost respect for my husband. He has the utmost respect for me. We both have strengths, we both have weaknesses, we both have crossover points, and we both regard each other as our best friend. And so, in many ways, it's like over the course of the years what we learned is to glean from each other and to learn from each other and to give each other space so that we could both grow and i think for us when i think about us i almost think about us as being pillars like co-pillars he's strong i'm strong but in our own ways i don't try being a guy; he doesn't try being a woman and we're just happy being what we are and very comfortable in that regard but Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure there have been many things we dealt with over the over the course of years. I'm sure that would be another whole interview. But that <laughs> was the big thing I recognized. Right. Sometimes we, in life, can end up coming from a certain environment and repeating it. And I didn't want that kind of a marriage where I'd be dictating to my husband. I just never wanted that in a relationship.
0: Uh, I love that statement you mentioned. You don't try to be the man. He doesn't try to be the woman. That is... Uh, that is that. That, go, that is such a strong. It's a strong statement. It has to be said, at least in this uh, this dating climate. That you know, I, I would say I'm currently um, de, de, uh, in right right now. Um, so yeah, that's. A, I think that was a, that's a very awesome uh, statement that you that you mentioned there. Um, <laughs> so being the ambassador of happiness, what makes you happy?
1: I love seeing people get together. Without any agenda, have fun together, be their best. Never feel like they have to hide, hide their better qualities. Um, and the reason why I could say all this is, I mentioned earlier that I had this corporate career, and I managed several branch offices for corporations that were located elsewhere. And here I was. I'm talking about like. 20 and 30 years ago or over 20 years ago, managing or developing teams of people, men, women, younger, older, some people making more money, some people making less, different titles. And I found ways to make everybody get along. I'm not saying I force people to get along, but I know how to set great cultures of people that when they're focusing in on a bigger, on a bigger goal or a or a general goal, they end up being supportive of one another and encouraging and inspiring each other. That kind of an environment, that kind of culture, that kind of fun, that kind of celebrating everybody's goodness and everybody's talents, which is really the kind of cultures that I developed. I can't even tell you how happy that makes me. So everywhere I go, wherever I speak, whatever environment I'm in, I help to try to bring people into those mental and emotional spaces where they could get out of being, I need to be better than you, I need to compete with you, I need to pull you down, because when we allow a different culture of happiness or lightness or celebrating everybody to get into the big picture, it's like the energy is so much better and everybody smiles and everybody feels great. It makes me happy.
0: Oh well, that's good. Um, I I, I would say for from my myself, I'm still trying to um find. I, I'm learning like the learning to love me um aspect is is what's uh, cur- currently in place. So trying to find that uh, sense of uh, you know I would say my my happy, you know what I mean. I, I don't put that happiness on anybody else, and I think for a very long time I was um putting my my happiness on um. every every, everybody else and now it's just about taking accountability and moving forward and doing what's uh you know what's what's best um so what is uh well i'll say what what inspired you to do what you do
1: um so the question again like what made me decide to do it or
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, what inspires you to do what you do as far as like going going around speaking, being the ambassador of happiness? What, what inspired you?
1: You know, I'm going to tell you, I could never get away from it. You know, in the years that I was home, let's say homeschooling, I had a lot of people. We had exchange students living with us. I was doing a lot of things at home. I was always an idea person. That's what I was. No matter where I was, I was an idea person. And I really envisioned a better world. And I was always learning. I've done, you know, I might have left law school midstream, but I never stopped learning and studying on my own. And I remember thinking one day, you know what? Either I'm going to grow old like people do. You know, a lot of people, they reach a plateau in life. It could be 30 years old, and then they just start getting old and getting stuck. Or I thought, you know what? I'm going to make a difference in life. And so I just decided... I'm gonna see how much of an impact and an influence I could be for a better world.
0: Um so what is I would say the um they might and somewhat might be tied to that last question. What's the vision for um your business?
1: At some level, I, you could call me a business, but really when I set out to do what I'm doing today, you might say it was like a dangerous, dangerous or a um an anti-establishment way of doing things. I didn't set out to make money. I set out for influence. Seriously, that was it. I thought I will go anywhere they invite me, I will go everywhere I can, and I will share my vision of what humanity should look like, be like, and treat each other like. And I remember saying to myself, you know what? If I could get the influence I want, and let me give you what I am what I mean by influence. I don't, I don't so much have this ego, especially at my age. Like, oh, look at me! Aren't I great? Or aren't I special? Or aren't, it's not that. If I could be in places, even privately, speaking with heads of countries, um, heads of huge media corporations. University presidents, I don't care who they are, and I'm in conversation with them and I could hear them say something because I know they're great influencers, and I can get them to see something they're doing and to see it from a better perspective where what their role is can positively impact other people rather than, let's say, take advantage of other people. Mm-hmm. That's my idea of influence. So, you know, like here we are today, I have no idea of where this interview is going to go, who going to reach but i do know that there are people who are looking for a better way to be in the world and a better way to act in the world and they're looking for a better world and i just want people to see they can be that change and they can be the, um, I want to say the catalyst for a better world if they see themselves and the world through a better set of eyes. Okay. But that was my whole thing. I was looking for influence, and I knew that as my influence grow, grew, so would my affluence.
0: Okay. All right. Um, let's see here. Um. So we, we obviously know that you're a, command, a commanding woman. Anything you've uh, set out to do, you've gone and done it. Um, so what would you say? How hard was it to change careers at 50?
1: I'm going to tell you that for me, growing up thinking 30 was ancient and that I'd be dead by the time I was 30. Imagine being like late 40s, early 50s and thinking, okay, I'm going to do now with some people coming out of college and have journalism degrees want to do that. And this was like 10 years ago. And I really mentally, I felt like Methuselah remember Methuselah in the Bible I think it was the oldest person ever recorded yeah I felt that way but you know what I did John and it was all very good is I just pushed myself through I thought I know what I feel like I know what I what mindset I have but if what I want to accomplish is that important to me then whatever happens I'm just going to keep pressing through and I'll give you an example this was interesting when I was very small I wanted to learn how to dance but that wasn't part of a future Um, attorney's life. So Mm -hmm. instead, I ended up with piano lessons. I didn't start taking dance classes until I was almost 50 years old. And I, I enrolled at a local college. And I can't even tell you how old, decrepit, and afraid, filled with emotional, mental baggage, not to mention the fact that I had two left feet all went together with enrolling and taking dance classes. But you know what I did? I kept doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it until a lot of the mental baggage went away. And what it did is it freed me. I became so much happier. I ended up becoming much more who I wanted to be as a young person. It came a little bit later, but it also launched my Art of Happiness books. And my first book was called... um, Exiting the comfort zone, dance or die. And when I started to learn how to dance at 50 years old, I was exiting a comfort zone. I had never been in that zone before. And I just went there. People laughed at me at class. I almost ruined an onstage performance. But I thought, you know what? There's something in here I need to keep pressing through. Because when I get to the other side of it, I'm going to feel happier, freer, and more Um, authentically me and that's exactly what I get out of it at the end of it so sometimes we can go through some of the hardest things in our lives but if something on the inside of us knows there's a bigger piece of us yet to come out the journey is worth the horrific trip along the way, you're like losing our ego, looking like an idiot, tripping and falling, you know, follow what I'm saying? Yes. But the end result is, is, I feel better about myself. I have learned to laugh at myself. I've learned how to overcome things. And even in the process, John, you know, when we grow like that, we end up with a lot more compassion for other people who are going through trying times and want to grow too
0: okay um being an ambassador of happiness do you ever find yourself having bad days
1: of course <laughs> you know this whole thing about being the ambassador of happiness i think sometimes people first hear it and it sounds good on one level and then they're thinking on another oh she's probably lives in denial land but when i was small i spent several years where i was not happy I didn't like the way I was being channeled into a certain career. I didn't like the way I had to stay away from certain kids or only do certain things. But I decided as a child I would grow up to be a happy and free adult. And so a lot of what I share, whether it is as a speaker, through my e-course, in my books that are a lot about the stories of life, through my podcasts, I help other people in life places that we all go through where we have to say to ourselves all right something just happened to me here i feel like a victim i'm mad i'm sad i feel defeated deflated embarrassed how am i going to get over this because a lot of being happy is really a state of mind and you have to say to yourself am i going to be a victim or am i going to see this as something ultimately good and that's really where i go into that that space with. So anyone that follows me on a routine basis will know that I may be called the ambassador of happiness because I really want to see a happier and more harmonious society, but what I'm what's behind that is all of my life work on getting over my own stumbling blocks, emotional blocks, mental blocks of, oh, I feel like poor me, or, oh, look what happened to me, or, oh, how am I going to overcome this? And I just share it with others so that as they kind of pick up some of the tips and tricks I've been through, they can become Mm self-leaders and self-influencers faster than maybe the journey it took me to get
0: there. Okay. Um, So how do you i would say how do you handle the emotions that completely devastate most people
1: i learned to do this as a child i think when i was very small i would go up to my bedroom upstairs um, and i would reframe the thoughts of my mind and reframe my emotions because we can very easily be slaves to our emotions slaves to what happens to us in the moment and i remember thinking as a child, because I used to cry a lot when I was little, I was very emotional and felt like, oh, poor me, right? But I decided that doesn't feel too good. If you want to kind of live that way, John, it's not happy. It doesn't help anybody. So I had to make several decisions over the course of my life. Do I want to stay here? Or am I going to let go of it? And one of the big things I learned um, as a child is I am not going to hold a grudge because holding a grudge doesn't feel good. So I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to feel better as a result of not being angry or not holding a grudge against somebody else. So that was just one of many decisions I made along along the way. And so that's what all of our lives are. You know, we could have somebody fires us from a job. We could have somebody breaks up with us. Right. Somebody um, blares their car at us in the morning and gets us started off on the wrong foot. Somebody tells us off publicly and we feel terribly. So we could either say, I'm going to live in that space and feel like poor me. Or what am I going to do about it? How can I reframe it and rephrase it so this could be beneficial? And that's really what I do, what I continue to do. And I think when people are around me, they know that what I speak about and who I am are one and the same thing because I don't just talk about things I've lived through the things too right. and people relate
0: Good. okay so obviously you know you know when you're not when you're you're, you're work you are a very hard-working woman um you know you go around speaking and, and 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 all these other things so let me ask you what do you do for enjoyment outside of your work what what is uh what what brings joy to uh to to Maury tomorrow excuse me
1: You know, I I work out almost every day. Fortunately, where I live, we have um, a local spa. So I love going to yoga classes, Zumba classes. I love getting out on my bike. We live here in Florida, so I'm in in good weather. And this is going to sound crazy. So I love doing that. I love working out. And I have a lot of friends that that I work out with whose personalities are very upbeat and healthy-minded. Maybe they focus in on good things. I enjoy that. I love going to places like the grocery store where I could just interact with perfect strangers. I love it. I love it. I love uh, going to see live performances. Um, I love getting together with people and sharing ideas. So there's a lot of things, but most of it will have to do with being around people I enjoy. And I'll tell you one of the other things I love doing. At night, at a certain hour, my husband and I, um, we each take a couch We put the TV on, oftentimes we'll binge watch um, a series like, uh, oh, sometimes there'll be, uh, you know, Law and Order or whatever the modern day version of that might be. And he'll have a glass of wine, I'll have a glass of wine, we'll watch it, we'll get immersed, we'll talk about life. And I just love the time with my husband too, and I love traveling.
0: Okay. Um, you mentioned, uh, I, was, I was gonna go into the next question. I was asked if you're a wine drinker, so what is your uh, wine, wine of choice?
1: Oh, you know, I'm terrible, I have to tell you this. I will have an occasional glass of red wine, but you know there are some people that are wine connoisseurs I couldn't even tell you. All I know is I'll have occasionally a glass of wine. I'll be like, this is really good, and I couldn't tell you what the name is, and I don't think it has anything to do with the cost of the bottle of wine. I just know that there's some I like more than others. So, um, But it is, it, it's is—it's a nice way. Like I love to sit over dinner and have a glass of wine and laugh and chat and share ideas and stories, but I couldn't tell you my favorite wine. Sorry about that.
0: <laughs> no problem, no problem. Me, I'm more like Moscato or you know um yeah I'd, yeah I'd say probably like a like a muscat. is muscato. that the sweet wine yeah that's is the that sweet, sweet? One. Yeah. guess
1: what because i'm really not a drinker never was a hard drinker right this is a funny thing they have port port wine i never get to drink it but that's almost like a dessert wine i love that
0: yeah 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 sweet moscato, moscato is awesome there um, you go yeah i love i love it so this uh this e-course that you that you have um what what can you tell us about that
1: Okay, I will tell you, I created this e-course which has things to read about, things to watch, things to listen to, uh, stories, questions and answers. I did it and created it because after I would speak somewhere or do an interview, people would be like, wow, Maura, you know, I know that you're making connections with me and how could you explain this to me more? And I found myself writing such lengthy responses to people's emails that finally I thought, Oh my gosh, and I'm not so much one-on-one with teaching people, so I put it all together in an e-course, and it's about, uh, I think it's six different modules, and what it does with people is it brings them through a mental, of an emotional, a self-narrative space. It even goes into, you know, what do you think about... The backdrop of your mind. What do you think about the nature of God? What do you think about the universe? Is this a safe place? Is it an unsafe place? What are some of the biggest lies you ever told yourself? And what it really does over the course of the course, because it's very self, you kind of work on your own time frame to do this, is it helps you learn how to deconstruct parts of your mind and your emotional life that maybe is not working to your best interest and helps you become a self-leader. Someone who, instead of feeling like life is leading you down the wrong way, that you actually learn how to be the navigator of your life. And in the course of doing it, you end up feeling a lot more self-actualized. In fact, you know what? Let me just give you something. You didn't ask me this, but let me.
0: I'll take it. This I'll right take whatever in. you okay. got. Go ahead.
1: All right one of the things i've done in addition to traveling to i guess it's maybe over 60 countries at this point and speaking in many of them is that i started conducting this global happiness survey so i've got hundreds and hundreds of people i've interviewed on the topic of happiness many of whom are from the united states and many of them are who are from overseas and all i said to them after getting a little bit on their background i said describe to me in 50 words or less how you would define happiness. And listen to this because I think that if you listen to the answer to this and then you wanna think about my e-course, it all works together. People, no matter where they are, no matter their academic background, no matter the political background, doesn't matter. This is what everybody's looking for to define happiness. Number one, they're looking for healthy relationships, meaning relationships that are not high drama healthy relationships. The second thing they want is peace of mind. The third thing they want is a sense of freedom in their life. The fourth thing is purpose and fulfillment. And the fifth thing is personal confidence. Now think about that. If you could live in that place, you've got healthy relationships, you could put your head to bed at night and you feel a peace of mind, a sense of rest. You feel freedom to be who you want to be. You feel like what you do during the day has a sense of purpose and fulfillment, and you've gained personal confidence. You know what, all those elements of the way people describe happiness is what my e eCourse leads people to do by figuring it out through the stories I tell, the questions I ask, and the the paths I bring people on.
0: All right. So with all the countries that you visit, do you have like a, a uh, like a favorite rather, um, you know, like a favorite place that you that that you've visited before? You know, one that stands you know,
1: out. I try wherever I go to find something special about wherever I go. Right. Like just last week I was in Tunisia. I'd never been there, but I wanted to go there for a couple of years. I loved it. Loved the people, Loved the food, everything. Um, but I'm going to tell you this. I think out of all the places I might say Italy and I think it might be part of the food it might be part of the way in which they design things Um, I think there's something about Italy I really like but you know as I said I could go to any place and find something I do like but I think there's something there that might be kind of near and dear to my heart
0: Okay. Um, let's see here Um, what, what does it mean when you, when you say live happy inside out?
1: I use that as my staple for all of my podcasts. If you're interested in being living happy from the inside out, you'll want to look at today's question. Because most people, I would say in society, they're taught to live happy from the outside. Meaning, oh, if I could be thinner. Oh, if I just looked better. Oh, if I could have the better car, the better girl, the better guy. Oh, if I had more money. So they think that by searching for things outside of themselves, they're going to be happy. And what happens is that with that outside externalized way of looking at the world. It's like happiness can always leave you or lose you or elude you any moment of the day. So I kind of figured this out as a young person. If I'm going to have a happy outside life, I've got to start by being happy on the inside. I've got to like me first. I've got to be true to myself first. I've got to know what's important to me first. And then as I live in that space, then I can be happy on the outside of my life, too. Mm -hmm. And it goes right back to, am I going to see myself as a victim on the inside? Then I knew if I saw myself as a victim, I'm not going to be happy on the outside. So everything I do... Everything I speak about really does go back to those four words, living happy from the inside out. And I think if all of us could learn how to do that, it's almost like living from your heart, living from your soul, living from that that intuitive space that kind of really knows things apart from all the vicissitudes of life, you know, and all the drama of life. Yeah. And if we could kind of be true to that inner person that we are, We'll be better in our careers. We'll be better in the choices of our relationships. We'll make decisions for better reasons. And I think we would not only be happier ourselves, but if we're happier, then we help make the rest of society happier too. Yeah,
0: well, well said. Well said. Um, what was it like releasing your first book? Were you nervous, anxious, all of the above? I mean, like you know, um, yeah, what what, what, what feelings?
1: I can't believe I finally (laughs) did it. My first book was uh, called Exiting the Comfort Zone. It was a short book, and I still, it's one of six that I have on Amazon. And you know what? It was my story of. Doing something I wanted to do when I was a little kid, namely dancing, and never did until later on, it made me so happy to be able to tell a harrowing story of pursuing a dream and a desire that I knew would make me happy if I could just learn how to dance. Not because I had to perform on stage, but because for me, I think dancing was just fun and it was social. And being able to share with other people what it's like to pursue your dream and go through like the twilight zone of experiences of oh my gosh I'm terrible I'm a failure people are laughing at me I look like an idiot I want to cry and yet I know somehow at the end of this there's a good ending and so by the time that first book came out I felt proud happy And people said to me, you know, Maura, after reading your book about learning how to dance starting at age 50 and seeing what you went through, I feel like I could run for president and run the world because I bring everybody in on the very story of their own lives of pursuing a dream and going for it even when you're going to look like a fool along the way. So I'm going to say my answer was happy and proud because what I had was not only my story, but it was a story I wanted others to relate to in their own lives so that they would be inspired to pursue their own happiness and their own dreams.
0: Okay. So do you, do you have a favorite book that you've um, read? Let's say right, like right now or reading right now.
1: Oh, right now I'm reading a book called radical forgiveness by Colin tipping. Never heard of the guy or Colin tipping right. because I'm going to be interviewed on it tomorrow from a woman who is out in Australia And I'm going to tell you, I sort of know this in my own mind and in my own life. Because remember I told you I'd learned as a child, it's not worth your happiness to hold unforgiveness against anybody. Uh Um, And yet this is a new book. I'm reading it right now. I'll be done with it by tonight so I could talk about it tomorrow. I love it because it connects something that relates to all of us. you know we live in a world that especially right now is getting a it's getting its jollies off of making everybody feel isolated um, uh, let me think you know they, there's a lot of identity politics going on in the world like oh well, I only see myself as a white female you know age 50 something or 60 something and other people are like, well I'm a black male or oh I'm this on that I'm a Hispanic you know what? I am in the space of, we're all here on planet Earth, we all came from the same place, we're all going to go back to the same place, so what are we going to do while we're here to make this the best place and the best space we could ever be in, and that's why I'm very passionate about this book, the messages of it, and how we could literally live our lives and be connectors, uniters, and uplifters of humanity while we're here, and make everybody happy and ourselves happier, and let's say feeling more at peace while we're here. So Radical Forgiveness, Colin Tipping. Colin today's today's I, good book.
0: Colin Tepkin, free promotion right here. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> but uh, I
1: could be even mispronouncing his name, but
0: yeah, that's it. We, we somebody's going to Google it right now. They're typing it on their phone as they're listening. Right. Um. Let's say so. As uh, far as podcasting goes, how long have you been a podcaster?
1: Oh, you know, I probably started. I want to say maybe four years ago. Okay. And I did it as an extension to my vlogging and my books and my many media interviews and my public speaking. Um, and you know what? I did it because they blah. Uh, podcasts, excuse me, are a really great way to get one-on-one with people. And my podcast—they ask a question, they tell a life story, and they give a call to action. And it's all based on how are you going to see your life from the inside out. And they're maybe ten minutes in length. And believe it or not, they actually became like another. Extension to what I do. They've helped a lot of people, and they actually helped me get my first international speaking engagement. So I just enjoy it.
0: So let me let me ask you, getting back to uh, being being uh, married, and maybe you could help like some others that are listening and maybe having wondering how they keep the keep the fire going in a marriage. Um, you and you and your husband have been together for some time. So what well, I would say, advice could you give, Which could both of you really give to um. To any anyone else trying to you know keep make sure they they keep the marriage going uh, keep the fire going in the relationship and you know
1: all right you know what I would say and I I'm going to tell you this is perfectly like this goes on every day in our household um, my husband has his own things that he likes he was always into sports me I could I could I'm, I've never been into sports we both will encourage each other to pursue the things we like and we're interested in and that freedom we give to each other is so powerful. Secondly, we have an enormous enormous amount of trust for each other and respect like and I'll I'll tell you this I don't know what it is maybe it's the way we're both designed we don't have power struggles and I want to say we don't have egos you know there's a lot of people if they feel like they're not getting enough attention they're going to go look elsewhere like I know my husband would my husband would send me anywhere and he does all around the world providing their safe places but I could go on my own. He'll never think, oh, is my wife going to fool around? I don't have that desire in me. Same with my husband. And that's a really unique thing we have because we love each other as friends, as people, as partners, as husband and wife. And there's something in that bond that, that allows each one of us to encourage each other to grow as much as we want without... Controlling right, and I I think that's a really big thing. So you have to kind of be mature You have to know yourself Um, And that's not saying we're any better or any worse than anybody else It's just the way we're both designed and I'm going to just tell you we look at each other sometimes It's not like we've had the perfect life everybody has stresses But I'll tell you we we almost feel like we were put together for a reason for whatever we're both called to do And somehow we both strengthen each other along that path, but I would say respect and admire and don't compete with your spouse or your 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 significant other. Right. See what's best in them. Honor them for what's best in them. And I'm going to tell you, if you keep doing that, you'll cause each other to shine.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, with that with that being said about the marriage, I'm going to ask this: Has there ever been a time, and and you could either decline or you know oh. uh, or accept the 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 the, the question, but like sure. you know. Has there ever been a time where, let's say, cause you, I'm sure you travel a lot. And again, I'm sure that, uh, I- there's come a time where someone um, I would say like a, a a guy or somebody that may try like a, 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 a approach you you know what I mean maybe knowing you're married not knowing you're married how did you know like how um have you guys ever had to face that and if so how did you guys like ever deal with that like let's say even on his end where you know like a, a woman like uh, may have like found a, a taken a liking to him or something like that like how how, how would you know because again you know our listeners you know we we all face these things. Sure. In, our, in our life so just like do kind of words of encouragement of like what you can do or should do rather when um, when faced with such uh, you know scenarios
1: you know I have a couple of scenarios in mind I told you I had a corp, and I'm going to answer it it's in a couple of different ways and people could do with it whatever they want I mentioned I had a corporate background and I was managing down here in Florida and from an early age I was probably like my late 20s I was offered um, various promotions and they would have required at some level for me to travel more frequently, meaning on a regular basis. And back when I was in my late twenties, I was this skinny, not I'm sure you hear a certain amount of confidence that has come to me now, right? Yeah. But back then, I knew that if I because of because I was not maybe as strong as I am today, I knew enough. Number one, I didn't want to go travel out of a suitcase every single, you know, three weeks out of a month for a corporate job to make more money. Number two, I knew at the time that if, and this is again, a couple of of decades ago, that if I were showing up at the same hotels where other traveling men were, that I could be somebody else's target. And I didn't want to put myself in that position. And I always imagined myself that if I did say yes to jobs like that, I'd end up having dinner in my hotel room rather than out in a hotel hotel restaurant, Mm -hmm. because I wouldn't want to put myself in a place like that. So I'm going to tell you, My short answer was I wouldn't put myself in places where I didn't have the confidence to just walk away and say, get out of my face or I'm not interested. You know what I'm saying? Because I was this skinny person and I just... And I think I saw myself as a child. And so what if there was an older man who wanted to influence me? I just wouldn't want to put myself in that place. So I wouldn't. That was number one. I'm going to tell you some other things. With my husband, he was in sales for many, many years Mm -hmm. and sold to big corporations. And this is a reality of life, too. And I remember him coming home a couple of times and saying, you know, Maura, I've got a couple of people at my main account that want me to entertain people at like these so-called gentleman clubs where there's going to be naked women and he said you know i know that i could run the risk of losing some of my clients if i say no but he said i have to tell you i'm not going to play this game and he said i want you to know i could lose some clients and i remember some one day somebody said well jimmy don't you want to take us all out to the such and such a club and this is a woman asking yeah meaning that you know he'd be buying drinks and there'd be girls dancing on poles and you know what he said well you know maybe I should ask my wife if she'd like to join us he said really that's not what I do he wasn't he wasn't rude the way he said it but he kind of made it known this is not the way I play
0: right and the other
1: thing he does like you know we travel all the time I've got my own business cards he's got his own business cards um like he's been in many places, and he'll say, you know, if somebody wants to take my picture, they want me to dance. He said, I'm just not going to dance with another woman. He said, it's just the way I am. And um, he said, the other thing I'll do, and he said, more, it has nothing to do with me. He said, you know, other people sometimes get delusional. He said, he said, often if there's a woman I'm going to pass my business card to, I'll always write on the back of the card your name. And, you know, funny thing, even with me, if I find there's certain people, they're saying, oh, more, you're an international speaker, do you have a card? And I'll say to them, hey, and by the way, why don't you connect with my husband? Here's his business card, here's what he does. So I will always reference my husband. They know that we come as a package deal. I may not be with him, he may not be with me all the time, but we're a package deal. And so there's, it's almost like nicely letting people know we're happy the way we are.
0: Yeah, definitely, I can but, respect that. But, you know, I'm that.
1: also going to tell you this too, when... This is another thing, and maybe I consider it a safety valve. Like I'll say to a lot of people, I'm old enough to be your mother. (laughs) And it's just a nice way. I couldn't say when I'm 25, 29, I'm old enough to be your mother. But now it's like, sorry, I'm old enough to be your mother. My daughter's your age. You know what I'm saying? Or like, this is so beyond me. And I could make light of things that when you're younger, maybe that's a bigger thing when people are looking to – to, you know, to connect with somebody. So I gave you a couple of different examples, but I hope that's
0: helpful. Yes, definitely, definitely helpful. Okay. Thank you so much uh, for, for that. Um, what is, uh, like, I, I know you guys said that you binge watch series. Do you watch any, let's say any like these, uh, I would say the most talked about series that are out right now, like the, let's say game of Thrones or, um, I don't, I don't know what, what uh, what really interest wow. you and your husband, but I'll uh, tell that, you what wh- one
1: we're watching now. I love it. Um, designated survivor
0: oh wow yeah that's all I'll that. tell
1: you i really like that you know i i've always been and our daughters like this too this was like what we would do as a family we would always end up being drawn to these movies where you know there's a big decision that needs to be made there's a lot of there's a lot of suspense and how would we handle these decisions i always like things like that but designated survivor i really like because it's a great story about someone who finds himself unexpectedly in a huge position of responsibility and somehow despite the odds despite public pressure public awareness he'll always seek to do the better thing and i'm going to tell you that's a real it's a it's a real real life story in a sense but i'm drawn to it because I'm very much into real life, but I'm always into what's redemptive, and I see a lot of things that go on. And I, there's a lot of shows my husband and I start watching. Then it gets trashy, disgusting, despicable, and there is nothing redemptive. It's like okay, I had enough of this stuff. Right. But that's our new thing. Designated yeah. Survivor. Yeah,
0: I had heard so about. So good. I had heard about Designated Survivor. My mom and my mom and dad were very big uh, Twenty Four fans. So, oh, you know, my he, daughter and yeah. husband used to love yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, they loved it. They were big. They're big. Uh, you know, twenty four. I never. I've yet to to get in get into uh, the twenty four. Uh, that's that's on the to do list. Um, you know, I say for me, like I just decided to. Um, dwell d- d- I guess give into the hype of Game of Thrones. Like I had tried watching Game of Thrones mini many times before and then i would always get this. uh I, w- I would lose interest and uh but for whatever reason i i, I started the year you know the start of this year is like okay i'm um, i'm just gonna binge watch it and see where it goes and see where all the hype comes from and and overall i mean like it's been you know basically uh medi- medieval porn i like to <laughs> i like to call it uh, that but you know and then you have like these plot twists and you you know you should never they say you should never get um attached to a character in the show because they're probably one of them probably gonna die it's gonna it's gonna gonna happen but i mean overall i mean i think it's a pretty good uh i think it's a pretty good show um i i i'm not like as hyped about the show as as many others i'm sure are but uh, i mean overall i mean i just i follow it but, um, you know, that's uh, like for me that I, my my life really consists of a lot of listening to a lot of podcasts because that's something that I wanted to uh, wanted to do and doing now. So, you know, that's like uh, it's kind of. Built its way into my my daily routine is just listen to a lot and lot of podcasts and like studying different uh, different podcasters uh, you know their their techniques how they you know how they how well they speak um, the the, uh, the their tones and which they speak and just the nature of things that they you know they will discuss um, but uh, yeah yeah I just you know there's something I wanted to add um, let's see here. Um, before we before we close, we should this? be, well,
1: I was just about yeah, to say, yeah, we
0: yeah, be. yeah, yeah. I didn't realize recognize the near time. Near right? near. I'm drawing, drawing, uh, so much over. Um, uh-huh. Let's say, but so before we get before we get out of here, um, let's say, uh, what words of encouragement would you say to someone who's looking for motivation to follow their passion, being uh, you know, of um, someone in your field? Okay,
1: I would say as a life lesson or as a life advice to anybody, take a couple of minutes for yourself every day by yourself. Morning, let's say, before you set out in the day, and then at night before you go to sleep at night. And I'll tell you why. We are all bombarded with social messages that tell us who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to like, what we're supposed to go after. Um, Not to mention relationships that could be overlaying our better judgment. If you could take five minutes every day to say, what's the best thought, what's the overriding thought that I want to leave my day with, and you could start listening to your soul and holding on to that thought, you will start to learn how to navigate your own life. And when I say navigate it, navigating it from the inside, there's somebody on the inside of you that your soul knows, that your soul wants to be and become and grow into in a great way, and it doesn't matter on what scale and in which direction, but it's the greatness that is in you that's looking to become all of you. If you could learn to take a few minutes every morning and spend it just quietly with your own thoughts, with your own soul, with your own quiet space, and then at the end of every day, listen in again. Where was the best part of my day? Where did I feel most empowered? Where was I most like myself? Where did I feel most energized, most inspired, and start to learn to follow those leadings from the inside of your life, the quiet spaces, you'll literally learn how to navigate and lead yourself into becoming your best, your brightest, your most beautiful, your most glorious self, and probably your most happy and confident self. And when you do that, you will find that the world outside of you changes, and you'll also be something of a world changer. So that's my advice.
0: How, um, if you want to go ahead and give your, uh, let's say, your contact information or places where you know we can reach you and get more, um, more content and uh, and learn and you know learn more about um, about Mora and uh, and and living in, living uh, living happy inside out. So okay,
1: well, since you have a listening audience, my podcast I would lead them to is Bora Sweeney. Living Happy Inside Out. Um, And you could find that on several uh, platforms. And the other thing I'd love for your listeners to do is find me and subscribe to me uh, on my website. It's my name, Maura, M as in Mary, A-U-R-A, the number four, the letter U.com, Maura4U.com because I'm always for you. And they could subscribe, get the blogs. They could I have over 200 videos. I have books. They could write to me. Um, so that's it Moreforyou.com, and find me uh, as a podcaster as more Sweeney living happy inside out okay. and I'd love to hear from anyone and if there's anyone listening that ever wants a speaker to come in and energize their group and help them change the way they think and therefore change their lives and the futures of their world and the world around them. Give me a call and reach out to me on my website.
0: Awesome. So, where, let me ask one more thing before, before we close it out. Where do you see yourself in five years from now?
1: Doing some of what I'm doing today, but on a larger scale. Not necessarily working all that hard, but being in places where whatever essence. Whatever messages and whatever culture, when I say culture, it's a winning culture for everyone, a united culture for everyone to, um, to thrive, being who they are and being their best self, using their best talents in the world. Uh, it could be um, dealing with heads of nations, heads of major organizations, um, any place where People need to gather together in places and spaces that will uplift humanity. The bigger, the better. Seriously. If they want me at the UN, although I tell you, UN needs some help, I'll go there too. But I do. I see myself just always reaching um, bigger audiences as audiences are ready for a message that says, you know what, first of all, it's not all about me because I'm sharing this planet with other people. It's all about all of society becoming all we can be together and harmoniously and i feel 5 years from now the world is going to wake up even more than where it is today and my messages and the influence that i bring into the world and into this space will be an even greater demand than it is today
0: okay well um more I want to thank you so much for your time and the like I said the opportunity to uh to get to know uh, an interview of you um you know and what you and what you bring to the table uh I wish you so much uh so much blessings and uh success um going forward but is there anything that you want to add to like for like for me before we uh before we shut shut everything down?
1: Other than to wish you so well and to go, I know your name's John McAllister. Before we started speaking, I said, go with Romy. You're such a Romy. (laughs) And I would just say, you know, I could feel the passion and the interest that you have. And the very things that you're doing today, Romy, as an individual, is what I would encourage and inspire everyone to do. And that is follow those leanings and those curiosities and those things you want to get good at. Just keep doing more and more of it. And eventually... The world makes room for you, and you, in the process of doing that work, become the expert you always wanted to be, and you're already on the road. So that's my advice for you, and I would say beyond that, thanks for inviting me to be on your show
0: today. All right. Well, this is uh, Romy Mack, and we're here with Miss Moore Sweeney, and this is the interview with Rome. Be sure to check that out. Thank you, guys. Get to Old Navy today. All Old Navy active styles are 50% off at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Plus, today's the last day to get kids' polos for just three bucks, in stores only. Hurry into Old Navy. Valid 811, excludes in store clearance. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, the moon. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty
1: Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.